0: Well, good morning, family. Let's talk about getting drunk. Welcome to church. <laughs> that's fine because this is the first hour that some dude from the crowd didn't yell out "woohoo." So that's good. We're 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 starting good already. That's good. Yep. There. Oh, there he is. There he is. We're glad you're here, sir. We're glad you're here. You're in the right place. Let's talk about getting drunk because the Apostle Paul talks about getting drunk, okay? He talks about uh, getting drunk in comparison and in contrast to being filled with the Holy Spirit, which I find interesting. And and so this morning we're going to continue our series on the Holy Spirit, a breath of fresh air where we're going to look at different aspects of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I have noticed that, um, that people who tend to get drunk the night before the next day, tell their story in a whole different light. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but uh, I, I remember in in high school, you know, in the in the locker room on Monday morning, there was always that guy who partied too hard that weekend, and and everybody heard his story. We all knew the truth of what happened, and and yet he was telling his weekend story like it was the greatest weekend of his life ever. I mean, the, the best moments, his proudest moments, you know, these great times. And, and we'd hear his victory stories at the same time. We're thinking, you know, we were there, man. Um, it, it wasn't that pretty. You, you like threw up on your girlfriend's shoes. It was gross. Um, you told the dog you loved him. Um, you, pretty sure you cried half the night. Pretty sure. Um, but, but why do we do that? Why, why do we retell those stories and, and fill them kind of with lies and rationalizations? Why? 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 I'll tell you why. Because getting drunk has never l- led to something good. It doesn't. I mean, you don't wake up the next morning and go, man, I was awesome. I'm so proud of what I just did there. It doesn't. It doesn't lead to anything good. In fact, um, Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 18. He says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, debauchery, it's a big word, and we get it from the ancient Greek where this was originally written. And, and in the ancient Greek, the word that's used there is a- actually the antithesis, the opposite of the word salvation. In other words, you've got this great word of salvation where, where there's hope in your future, there's, there's good ahead, and yet this is the opposite of it in debauchery. It's it's desolation. There's no good coming from this. There's, there's no hope in this. In fact, when the New Living Translation, when they translate this verse, they put it this way. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Or, or the Message Translation that says, don't drink too much wine because that cheapens your life. But rather drink the Spirit of God, huge draughts of Him. See, the rest of the verse is instead be filled with With the Spirit. So it's like we have two choices. You can be filled with spirits or you can be filled with the Spirit. And Paul takes these two ideas and compares and contrasts them. And there's some things they, they hold in common. And, you know, whether you're drunk with alcohol or high on some sort of drug or filled with the Spirit, both alter behavior, both affect the decision making process. And both, when it comes down to it, are an issue of control. It's just when people get drunk or high, well, we can easily trace that back to their, their handing control over to something else in order to run away from past predicaments. Maybe recent behaviors don't know quite how to deal with this, or this didn't work out for me before, so I'm going to give something else some chemical control over me. But it really has to do with the past. Where Paul contrasts being filled with the Spirit, well, then you bring back that word salvation. Then you bring back, there's hope. There's something good to look forward to. And so the idea of handing control over to the Spirit of God, you're actually following uh, future hopes. And so before we go any further, let me just ask you this morning. What would you rather control you? Your past or your future? In other words, would you rather hand control over to to something that's going to help you but not really help you run away from your past predicaments? Or do you want something that's going to help you run to your future hope? Because either way, we're not in control. And either way, we hand over control. It's just a decision to what would you rather control you, your past or your future? And if you're with me this morning, say, Tom, I'd love to hear about letting my future control me. Well, then let's keep talking. <laughs> See, in, in that verse... Paul uses a very simple phrase, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. But this verse has messed with me for the last three weeks. Because I'm going, Paul, what does that mean? What are you saying? That's really kind of a complex idea, isn't it? And so we're going to break it down a little bit here. We're going to dig into the ancient Greek that it was originally written. And we're going to look at the verb play o, which is the verb to be filled. And the context in which it's used gives us kind of a clue into maybe what Paul's talking about here. Uh, the first thing, and if you, got your, if you got your outline, now's the time to break out the notes. Uh, we're going to go fast. There's going to be some information. We're just going to kind of fly a little bit. So see if you can keep up. And, um, and so the first part is this. When we look at the Greek verb, O, um, the first thing we notice is that it's in the passive. It's in the passive form, the passive voice. And that may mean nothing to you, so let me break it down for you. It's not about you. All right? So, so in other words, this is it. You don't do the filling. It's a conduct of God. The verb, the, the onus is put on the Spirit. Only the Spirit does the filling. That's the way the verb's set up. You can't go fill yourself of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can fill you. And so it's kind of like saying, hey, be loved. And you say, well, Tom, you want me to go find somebody to love me? No, no, no. There's people who love you. There's a God who loves you, so be loved. In other words, there's a God who fills you, so be filled. And then when we look at the verb, it's, it's in the uh, imperative uh, mode. Which means it's, uh, it's, not, um, it's up, not up for debate. It's imperative. It's a command. It's a command for all. And I know it's for all because it's in the plural form. In other words, it's not just this command for uber-Christians. You know the ones you look over and they seem so spirit-filled and you think, well, that's where the spirit ended up, over in them and not so much in me, right? You know, they, they've got the gifts, no, it's a command for all. In other words, everybody gets the Spirit. Everybody who follows Jesus, God fills us with the Spirit. It's for all of us. It seals us. It, it's, it helps identify us as Christ followers, as Christians. And, and then the third thing is, is that the verb is in present tense, which means it's a continual action. It's not an occasional thing that happens. You see, sometimes I think we get this in our mind that, oh, I get it, it's like uh, filling up a car with fuel. In other words, uh, the gas tank says we're low, so we pull into the spirit gas station, and we fuel up, and we get filled up again, and then we go on through life, and we burn that fuel until we get to low point in our life, and then we have to be filled up again. But that's not what it's saying. It, it's not really like a car in a gas station. It's more like an electric train set. Uh, when, when I was a kid, my grandparents, they, um, they got me for Christmas an electric train set. Weird thing is that electric train set, it was like ghouls and goblins and scary things. So I have like this Halloween train set for Christmas. Um, and, and we still pull it out, my kids and I. We pull out our scary train set and put it around the tree. And uh, it's weird, I know. Tradition. Um, you've got them too. Um, but, but and, and it never fails. Every year we're putting this, this old dilapidated train set together. And every year it never fails. I, I somehow get electrocuted. Um, you know, cause it's either my kids have turned on the switch and I didn't know, or I did, or, but, but there's always like electricity pulsating through those tracks. And so the moment I take another metal track to the one with the electricity, you remember there's electricity in there and that it's constantly flowing through the tracks. See, that's the Holy Spirit. There's no off switch. It's just electricity constantly flowing through the tracks. It's continual continually going, continually ready to fill us up completely each and every time. And and so it's not an occasional thing, it's an always thing. And you can put the train on it. And and the thing is, when the metal wheels meet the the metal rails, all of a sudden the energy that's moving through it, it just propels it forward. But sometimes you can put that train on it, and it starts moving slow. It's not because the energy's not moving, it's because maybe there's corrosion on the wheels, or maybe there's gook on the tracks, and... There's something in the way of the connectivity. You see, being spirit-filled, is, it's not an issue of you know, how, how uber-Christian I am. It's, it's almost how connected am I right now. In the verb itself, it's the idea of to be completely filled, to be full to the brim. And the only thing that keeps us from being completely filled with God's Spirit is if we already have things within our heart and our soul that are already filling us and keeping us from then being completely filled with Spirit because we're full of something else. And so as I've looked at this, as I've wrestled this, I think this is going to be a lifelong struggle and I think it's going to be difficult to be 100% filled with the Spirit 100% of the time. But I still think it should be our aim. It should still be our goal. And so what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 5, the beginning of that chapter, is he begins to give us indicators of what we might be full of. Indicators, both positive and negative. In other words, you can see what somebody's full of by the way they act. People who are angry, angry people, well, they're full of anger. Lustful people are full of lust. Greedy people are full of greed. Loving people are full of love. And so there's indicators that can let us know, is there something in there already that snuck its way in? Is there something filling us that's keeping us from being completely filled with God's Spirit? And so we're going to go through these briefly through the text. Um, there's like uh, 12 different sermons here. We're just going to briefly go through them and save that for another day. But, but follow me here, starting in verse 3 of, of Ephesians chapter 5. These are, I'm going to give you five negative indicators that, that Paul gives us. It says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. In other words, look at what your life's producing. Is there sexual immorality happening? Is there sexual impurity? Because it might be an indicator that there's something else filling you up right now that's not complete God's spirit. What about greed? What about greed? Where are we on the dial of, how much of our life is spent enjoying and chasing after money? Because perhaps that's filling us up more than it should. How about the way we talk? How about a filthy or foolish talk or, or crude humor? Because the words we say are always a reflection of what's inside of us. Let me give you two more. In verse 11, Paul says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So let's see this. How much associating do we do with sinful behaviors of darkness? In other words, how much of our life is spent doing things we want nobody else to find out about? (laughs) How many of our moments do we spend thinking, I hope nobody finds out this secret? Perhaps there's something else that's in there that's in the way of God's Spirit completely filling us up. And it's lodged itself over time in there. And and then the last one that that we're already given in that verse was getting drunk or getting high is an indicator that perhaps there's something else we're letting fill us besides God's Spirit. And then there's these positive indicators These ones that let us know, well, perhaps God's Spirit is in there. Perhaps it is leaking out into who we are. Perhaps it is filling up, and maybe we should really go with this and uh, and really allow it to do more. So let's start back in the very first verse, verse 1 of chapter 5, where Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. Do we walk in the footsteps of our Father? Because we're adopted children, Christians. We're adopted children of the Father. I, um, I don't know if you ever noticed, I got kind of a funny walk. I, I have a little spring in my step. I walk on my toes when I'm not paying attention. And uh, always have since I was a little kid. And, and uh, when I think about it, I don't do it. But, but I'll catch myself doing that. And, and in fact, when my children, I have noticed when they're walking behind me, I'll look back and they're walking on their toes. <laughs> because we walk the way our Father walks. And so do we acknowledge God as our Father, and do we let Him lead and follow, and does our walk represent His? And if so, then we walk in love. Then we walk, because God is love, therefore love should fill us, His Spirit should fill us, and so our actions should be loving. Let's, let's look at two more. In uh, verses 8 uh, through, through 10. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Do we live as children of the light? Well, it gives us three easy indicators right away. Do we spend time doing things that are good, right, and true? And and do we try and discern um, what will please God? In fact, do we ask God that question God, what do you want me to do today for you? You've given me a brand new day this morning. What could I do to make you smile? Is that part of our conversation with God? Do we try to discern what would please you, Lord? What would please you, God? This would be an indicator, a good indicator, that perhaps the Spirit is working inside of us. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. I'll give you two more. It says, Be very careful then how you live, not as wise, but as, I'm sorry, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You see, I think sometimes we ask ourselves a question that's probably not the best question for us to ask. In making decisions, we'll go, uh, is this right or is it wrong? And I don't think that's the best question to ask because really what we're looking for is, well, if it's not wrong, then I can go ahead and get away with this. You see, I think the better question to ask is, is it wise? Not is it right or wrong, but is it the wise thing to do? Based off my, my past experiences, my future hopes, my present situation, is this the wise thing to do, because wisdom comes from God and people who make wise choices, well, they have the spirit filling them inside and influencing them. And then do we make the most of, of our moments, of our opportunities uh, that we're given? Do we make the best use of our time? Uh, my boys, they're getting old enough where, where we're starting to, I'm starting to teach them how to play games. And, and now they're kind of old enough where they're starting to get one of my favorite games of all time, Monopoly. I love that game. And I'm trying to teach them and give them hints so they can go and beat their friends. And, um, and one, thing, one thing I teach them right away is, hey, if you land on property, buy it up. Buy it up. If you've got to mortgage other property to buy it, buy it up. Because nine times out of ten, that, that's going to come back to pay you back in multiples. Do you see those moments of time as opportunity? Do you buy up God's opportunity to do something bigger than yourselves? Or is it about yourself? How do we spend our time? It reflects what's filling us up inside. Do we see life is short? And do we buy up those opportunities and use them? Um, And then let me give you two more. We're back to our original verse here, which is verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled people sing songs. We sing passionate praise to our God. The Spirit's always been singing about God since the beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you'll see how God creates the heavens and the earth. And it's written in poetry, in song. In fact, many scholars believe God sang the earth into being. It was the first big musical as God is creating things. The greatest light show and props dropping and God is creating things in song. In fact, when we look at Genesis chapter 2 and the first time that, that man gets to speak, the first time Adam opens his mouth, it's, it's when he sees Eve or the woman. He sees woman and, uh, and, he, and the first thing he does is sing. It's written in poetry and song. It's actually like the first Barry White love song. If you read it, it is. It's like, you were made for me, you should leave your parents, and we should become one. That is the those are the lyrics. And they're singing until Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world. And from there on, it's all prose. And we don't see that kind of singing again until the book of Revelation. When God creates a new heaven. And a new earth, and there in the book of Revelation, God in the presence of his people, there's 11 new songs just written in that amount of time. Because in the presence of God, there's always singing. And spirit-filled people sing to God. We sing out. We sing songs of praise because we have thanksgiving in our heart. We thank God. Spirit-filled people are thankful and give thanks to God. And you may say, Tom, well, that's great. You know, I, I really, some of you may identify with those negative indicators and go, uh-oh. uh, I got some things inside me that are filling me up and leaking out in my life. And, and some of you may say, well, well, Tom, I'm seeing some of these things, the positive things, I'm fi- you know, filling me with the Spirit. So, so what's my next step? And I've wrestled with this one. Because right there in the verse, it says God's in charge of the filling. The Spirit's in charge of the filling. So what do we do? What is our role to play? And I've thought about it for the last three weeks. I've wrestled with it. And I've looked back at the scriptures. And I think I might have found something that might give us a clue. You see, the majority of my life, I've, I've heard this kind of Christian phrase over and over. I don't know. It really is not in the Bible. so. But it shows up somewhere in our Christian uh, um, tradition. And you've probably heard it before. It goes something like this. Let go and let God. And I've heard it over and over in my life. And and I understand the intent behind it. And I think it's good. I think it has good intent. I'm just not sure how biblical it is. You see where I take issue with the phrase. At least when I hear it. Is that it kind of implies that before we can let God. There's some things we got to let go of first. There's some things that we have to do. In other words, you may, be, you may be sitting there this morning and you're kind of like me and you're going, man, I really would love to let God deal with this, but, but first let me get it under control before I hand it over to him, or, or, or let me let go of this addiction because it's getting out of hand. Let me get this under wraps. Let me clean up my life a little bit before I actually let God. In fact, there's probably some people who are not sitting in these chairs today who are going, man, I would love to come to church. I'm just not ready yet. I'm not as good as those church people. I need to get some, this relationship together. I need to get my life together a little bit more before I can actually let God. See, I don't think that one works when it comes to being spirit-filled. I think rather than let go and let God, we should first let God and then let go we should first let god we should let god be god and let us not be god we should first let him be be, be the one we cry out to let him be the one who's in control because guess what he already is We let him speak to us through his word, speak to us through our prayer life. We let his voice be the primary voice in our life. We say, God, I'm done with it trying to be me. I'm just gonna let it be you. And we let God be God in our lives. And then you know what inevitably happens? When we let God be God, he will look into our life and he will begin to mold and make us to be more like Jesus Christ. And as a result, he'll say, you know what's keeping you from being spiritually filled? Several things, but let's start with this one first. We need to get this one out first so the spirit can fill that up and that gets out of the way. And God's going to start looking into our lives and he's the expert. He's going to know what needs to go first. And then our job is to simply let go but we have to first let God and then be ready to let go. There's this show, um, it's on a and I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called Hoarders. Apparently three million people uh, suffer from the psychological disease and, and what it is, it's just people accruing more and more stuff till they're getting crowded out of their own home. And recently I've watched uh, two different episodes of of this show and, and I want to share you some stories from it. The first is the story of uh, BG and Lee, they're this couple, they live out in California, beautiful home, a hundred year old home, and just beautiful on the exterior. But if you look in the interior of the home, it is just stacked with junk upon junk upon junk. In fact, this couple, they both have broken toes because they've tripped over their stuff so much. It's beginning to affect their health. It's affecting their marriage. They're on the verge of divorce because they don't know how to solve their problems. They just keep buying more stuff and that's not working. It's affecting them financially. Um, they're, they're about to lose their home. Their home's getting, falling apart, but they don't have the money to fix it because they just keep spending it on more stuff, which causes more and more structural damage to it. And so eventually, BG and Lee, they, just, they cry out for help. They cry out for help, and, and the good news is on Horton's help arrives. They send over a psychologist who's going to help them pick out what needs to go first and, and walk through with them, you know, how, how to let it go. And, and so they, the psychologist shows up, starts working with them, and and, and then there's there's a team of 20 people that are ready at their house, ready to, to help them clean up their house and get this stuff out. And, and then they even have an interior decorator who shows up, and, and, uh, and she's going to put this house into beautiful order and show them how beautiful it can be. And so, so on this episode, I want to show you some pictures of their house. This is their kitchen. Yeah, that's their backyard. And help arrives. Help arrives to show them and help them. And then when help is done, This is their kitchen. (laughs) This is their backyard. Not much has changed. Because on the show, hoarders, they will not remove anything you're not willing to let go of. Fifteen minutes into help arriving, BG and Lee lock the help out. They're too afraid, they're too scared, this is too hard. And they stop the letting go process. And so help eventually has to leave. And then there's the story of Diana. Diana lives out in Oklahoma. Diana has health conditions due to her hoarding. In fact, her house is disgusting. It's got garbage piling up. It's got animal feces in it. Uh, Her kids growing up couldn't sleep in their own rooms because there was so much garbage that kept piling up and mom couldn't help them clean it. So her daughter had to sleep in a recliner for for several years of her life in the living room. And and as soon as the kids could move out, they got out and they haven't returned. They will not go back and visit mom in that house. And so she's alone. She's got medical issues. The county is getting ready to condemn her house unless she does something about it. And so Diana cries out for help. And thanks to hoarders, help shows up. And there's the the psychologist to pick what needs to be removed first. There's the the people that show up, including her kids, to help her clean it out. And and there's the interior decorator to show her how beautiful her home could be. This is uh, Diana's kitchen. That's her living room. That's her bedroom. And help arrives, and when they leave, this is her kitchen. This is her living room, and this is her bedroom. The difference is in letting go. You see, I'm willing to bet that there's some of us out here this morning that a long time ago, we let God be God We said, God, you will be Lord of my life. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. But somehow, over time, stuff has creeped back in there. We want to be completely filled, but there's something that's got in there, and it's filling us, and it's beginning to leak out in our life. And for us this morning, it's an issue of letting go. God's been trying to get our attention. God's been saying, you know you need to get rid of this and you need my help. You don't just need my help. You need my, my church people's help to do this. You need something bigger than yourself and it's ready and waiting. You just need to let go. And perhaps this morning as, as we sing and worship, as we corporately su- surrender to God and let him be God, it's time to let some things go. I don't want to just leave you there. It's not just a today thing. In fact, the, the, in the month of September, the month of October, we're going to be looking at this church wide. We're going to do a series called Alignment because for some reason we want to stay in alignment with the will of God, but we so easily get out of alignment. Misaligned, Yet God is still calling us to get back on there. And and we're not without hope. We can be realigned back in the will of God, but it's gonna take help. It's gonna take the church. It's gonna take God's spirit. It's gonna take the Father. It's gonna take Jesus. And so we're we're gonna hear about this. We're gonna look deep into this on Sunday mornings. And then we're gonna really dig into it in our group time where we have accountability, when we can pray for one another, where we can learn together. But if you're not in a group, you've only got two weeks left. And if you miss out, you will miss out. (laughs) And so make sure you sign up for a connect group because we're in this together. And maybe for you this morning, it's not even about letting go this morning. It's about first just letting God be God and you not God. Maybe this morning as we sing surrender, your surrender is to say, I'm done with trying to do anything myself. I'm gonna let Jesus be Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you need to sign up to be baptized today. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward as we get ready to sing. I'm going to invite you to stand up as we get ready to worship the God of the universe. And I want to challenge you to make a choice to first let him be God and then be ready to let go.